Hello, welcome back to lovely interview with Theo Vanderbroek, uh, all about his book, The Closet. Go buy it and listen to this interview. Here you go. Should we talk about hot boys yeah. for a sec? Um, boys. <laughs> I know it's sort of clear, but it is so it becomes clearer as you read the book of how we try on versions of ourselves through clothes. And you said this wonderful thing about you go you go and hook up with this guy and Tim and you have met him previously. You kissed him in a bar and he's wearing this white nut it's a what is it? White a Nike Nike cap. TN cap. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then you he then offers to for you to meet up with him. So then you take it upon yourself to go and find a cap like his to wear to meet him, which is so, I was just like, that is exactly what I would have done. I would, God forbid they fancy me because I look like me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have yeah. to like now dress like them in order to think they'll love me. So, and then you go and then you realize when you arrive that he's not wearing the cap anymore and actually you feel really silly wearing it. And you you say this line, I think it's at the end of that section where you're like, I'm looking at myself in the mirror, a sort of mishmash of all the people I want to try and be or get to like me, but I'm not myself. Mm. Um, and it's like, God, clothes does that yeah. to you, doesn't it? Because you're trying to be this, you're trying to be that. And But the Vivian Westwood t-shirt that is one of the chapters in the book, I think is amazing because it does say the complete flip side of what I've just said, which is that... By someone like Vivian Westwood doing a T-shirt, which hopefully, if you save up, you can afford, you speak to your tribe. Mm. You say, these are my people and this is me. And Vivian Westwood and all that she stood for and the brand stands for, which is actually punk and brilliant, brilliant things. You know, I'm really pleased that there are those T-shirts out there because it's your first access to like, who was it? Bimini was on the podcast Mm. the other week saying they're that when they saw someone in their town wearing a certain t-shirt, but it was like, that's how they knew they were like-minded. And then they became friends. It's like modern hanky code, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And that stuff is, that's when fashion is so positive. Totally, totally. And, and you know, the big thing about that um, Vivian Westwood t-shirt chapter, I go and buy that on a trip to Barcelona that my mum takes me on after I'm unceremoniously mm. dumped and outed by this kind of person that I was in love with as a teenager. And it was, it was a moment where I was like, actually, do you know what? Fuck it. This thing, it's a, fl- it's a floral t-shirt. It's a big old peony splitting down over a, and it had a split hem. So it was a bit fussy. And, you know, I was, I was 15 and I was like, no, this, this is, I'm into this. This is something that I am yeah. excited by and I care about. And I wore it. And in the book, I chart this, but I wore it on a mufty day and it was this moment of liberation and it absolutely was. And I kind of, I, I, I'd been outed. So there was nothing left to lose on that front. So I was like, well, actually, if, if I'm going to have to face this down, I might as well face it looking great. In a bit I probably look ridiculous because I was wearing the t-shirt <laughs> with these like massive cargo trousers from Eisenhower and some, and those ridiculous Gucci loafers. They had to stuff socks into the end bar <laughs> in order to be able to fit. So, you know, I probably looked an absolute joke, but, I felt amazing doing it and and it was yeah that that feeling of liberation and that feeling of saying I don't really care I mean obviously I care what you think but ostensibly I don't care what you think and I'm going to be me is was something that's existed that has continued in my life and I get that feeling I know that yeah. feeling if I wear a certain thing it's like this gives me this gives me armor this gives me power this this enables me to face something that might otherwise feel 
scary or insurmountable. And that's not about feeling superior. It's about feeling good about yourself. It's like sketches before you do the painting. Mm. You're trying things out. And actually, traditionally, particularly in the era we're talking about, we didn't have makeup. You know what I mean? It's the ways that you could experiment with yourself. And um, you should look ridiculous is what I'm trying to say. You should look ludicrous because if you're getting it wrong the first time, you're probably not experimenting enough. Yeah, you know? totally. And I and that's what, you know, going back to that point that we made at the beginning, I do feel for young people today because I feel like it is more difficult. I feel like you you do have to be this kind of ready-made, salient, yeah. salient creature that kind of understands the world and is ready to face it head on. And you just aren't. It just takes it takes forever. I still don't know, you know, like when yeah. I was going to the shows, I bought a lot of weird clothes that did not really fit with the style that I know that I have and that I that I have kind of created over time and I would get sucked into mm. trend and I would I would feel insecure to be honest and I would I would go and right. buy stuff because you're in that frenzy of like materialism and consumerism and you've been sucked into this idea and I look back at some of those those items now and I'm like what was I thinking but it showed me it was like a barometer for my feelings about what I was doing and where I was, mm. and and I look back on it now, and it's like, okay, well, maybe I wasn't quite me and who I who I wanted to be at that point. You know, when I start wearing my navy blue crewnecks, <laughs> my navy blue trousers, and the, the same <laughs> same white trainers, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm in an okay state of mind. <laughs> so maybe straight dad yeah. stopping at Blue Harbor from MS had it. Yeah, right maybe, maybe you never know. But well, it's simplifying, isn't yeah. it? You know, and I think we use. I know when I'm not settled because I'm trying to use outside things to balance my inside. So that's sugar or alcohol and talking actually, Mm. hence the podcast, Mm -hmm. you know, like, as in like, I'll, I'll just be very verbose and trying to analyze things all the time and stuff. I think that means I'm unsettled and I, and and it's not been my thing, but I know fashion could be that buying shit is that for me. It's actually not fashion. It's more like, I mean, I've discovered Temu, that website, which What's is like Temu? Amazon. Oh, no, don't Temu, tell me. I, I shouldn't <laughs> tell you this. Um, but, you know, Temu is like Amazon. I think it's based in China, but I'm not sure. And it's like super cheap. And you can just buy things like plastic Tupperware on it. <laughs> like, I'll find myself on Temu and I'm like, Chris, step away. Maybe this book, book not... a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it fucking once a oh, week. It's still God. not doing it. But you know, anyway, it's um, it's funny. So, Teo, I'm sorry, I'm doing a handbrake turn because oh, I on. want you to tell a fucking funny story. We both would accessing the internet in a time of dial-up. Mm. <laughs> I know which one you're going to say. <laughs> I had some scrapes on on the internet in chat rooms. I got involved with a whole thing in chat rooms, actually with a boy in Kingston. Oh, really? So yeah, he would have been down yeah. the road. Um, we never met. Right. But you know, I like I spent all my time on the fucking internet talking to people. You had an incident with a printer that is so goddamn. Is it noughties or nineties? I would say it's nineties. It was probably like it's so nineties. Yeah, <laughs> and I just got to let you tell it. Yeah, I spent a lot of my time dialing up to go onto AOL to either <laughs> onto either Gaydar or MSN Messenger usually pretending to be on a messenger so I could be on Gaydar. And I would be on, I think Google was around then, um, searching for very 
Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, ask yeah. Jeeves. Finding very soft core pornography. So I would right. type in words like Willy and and men, <laughs> men holding willies. And what I would usually do is find these pictures and in a panic, because I'd only have like an hour or so before my parents would come home, either from my mum from her course or my dad from flying, before I would be caught if I was doing anything. So in a panic, <laughs> I'd print them out on this printer, which would take at least 10 minutes to print out full page color. Um, and yeah. I had this box that I'd been given for Christmas, which was like a fake book that had like a little plastic <laughs> inlay, which I absolutely loved. I was obsessed with it. And I really thought that it would conceal my secrets, despite the fact that my parents had been the ones who gave it to me. So they knew they, <laughs> they knew it wasn't a real book. So anyway, I would, I would conceal the folded up paper papers inside and whatever. And then there was one day that I'd come back home from school and my parents weren't home yet and i did my usual mission so i set out pretended to put msn more to fool myself than anything else and then would go go on this little hunt and i found this boy who looked like abs or at least i thought he did naked um and i decided to print out the picture color because it was a particularly good picture i thought black and white would be wasted uh, so I took the risk. I didn't know what time my parents were going to be home. Took the risk, started printing it. And I, about halfway through, my mum comes through the front door. And I kind of hadn't heard the gravel as I usually did. So I jammed the print, printer page out of the, paper, uh, of the printer, switched off the printer, switched off the computer. This is before I knew to delete the internet history. And there's a whole other story about that in the book. And anyway, later that night, we're having dinner in the kitchen, which is next door to the study where the computer and the, the printer is um, eating peas and I think haddock or something, haddock fish pie. And my dad has come back from a trip and he's furious because his roster's been changed. So he's flying again the next day. So he leaves dinner to go and check his roster. You know, bloody old Jane. My Jane's my mum. Bloody old, got my bloody roster changed. The storm's into the other room. And... As I hear the computer go on and the wireless dial up, you know, whatever, going going wild. <sighs> and I suddenly hear the printer click into action. And I had forgotten that when a print job had not been complete, it would then finish when you turned it back on. Invariably, it had happened with my mum's dissertation a couple of weeks before this event. Oh, so, so I've just sat there, reading. like, honestly, my stomach in my mouth. And because <laughs> it's so slow, the fucking printer. So my dad yes. hasn't seen what, what's coming out before. So I'm just kind of sitting there thinking, what do I do? I haven't finished my fish pie. I'm quite hungry. Anyway, slam my knife and fork down, run out of the room. And I just hear my dad shout to my mum, oh, bloody hell, Jane, is that a willy? And uh, there's this half body that just comes out of the printer. And, and weirdly, like maybe not that weirdly, but they never spoke to me about it. I went to bed, like they never spoke to me about it. But my dad did put um, blocking technology onto the computer and, you know, we were raised on the internet, right? So he thought he was being really <laughs> smart. I, in like when I was pretending to work on Encarta a couple of days later, I downloaded spyware that tracked every key that he pressed on the keyboard so that I could discover his password and put it oh in to override God. it and continue looking at abs lookalikes with engorged cucumbers on their summits. <laughs> 
Yeah. This was it. Because we all had one computer in the house. So you did have to, you know, like it was all. It was like, I don't know. I'm, what's the word? It was cowboy country. Like no one understood the yeah. internet. Like my dad didn't really understand it. I didn't understand it. So we were discovering it together. Like it had only just come onto the computer. So it was like, okay, it can do all these terrifying things and it's adapting and growing at a rate of knots. So, you know, yes. one one minute it was downloading and printing pictures, the next minute you're talking to people, the next minute it's videos, the next minute, you know. Yeah. And it was just this exponential exposure, which, you know, was amazing in some ways because it did facilitate meeting people, which otherwise would not have happened. I've, I don't understand yeah. how people, the generation before us, were able to meet people or to kind of, scratch those itches that you need scratching when you're in your mid-teens you know which are otherwise impossible mm. to scratch um but it also did expose me us to a lot and a lot of danger in retrospect <laughs> like yes you know i look back at it now i'm like fucking hell i would never let my child ever access the thing well obviously not the things i was accessing but have that unfettered access do you know what i mean yeah. We always talked about, there was this guy called ANF Lad on Gaydar that me and my friend used to talk to, Anflad, and we were like obsessed with him. I don't know what the fuck, but we never met up with him, but we both used to message him all the time, like, because he was really fit. Yeah. And it's like, it was just fictional. It's so odd. Totally, it? totally. I mean, I definitely put myself in some vulnerable situations, particularly when I learned to drive. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's for maybe for another time. But um, that's for that's book, for book two. two. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it is fiction and you can create this whole other world for yourself. I mean, I didn't help myself by making my email address ilovewomen87 at hotmail.com, which was my so funny, <laughs> my way of hiding from the world that I was that I was gay. Because obviously, if you protest too much. <clears throat> Well, mine was breast underscore face at hotmail.com. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I love that. that. We both did That's that. That's amazing. We, it's probably, it's probably a thing. I'm sure lots of lots of boys do or did. Yeah, I think like I wasn't doing it to be like booby lad. I I don't think I was. I think what I, what I find interesting about it now, should I wish to think about it, I think it was sort of actually a demonstration of the fact that like breasts sort of meant nothing to me. You know what I, I mean? Because they didn't. Whereas they were such a hot topic for other, for boys like around me whereas i was just like oh that's a word I'd, I'd gone through so many iterations of trying to get my name on hotmail i was just like oh two words put together i mean maybe, maybe mine yeah, was some oh, subliminal so kind of anti-misogyny thing it's like because i actually do love women and i think a lot of straight men don't so maybe it was maybe it was some, maybe it was some... <laughs> let's unshackle ourselves from the 90s and the toxic times we yeah. lived in and start yeah, again exactly. and be <laughs> teo thank you so much for doing this and you said earlier actually you know like I, I'd never heard that statement. I love it. Like a memory doesn't have an emotion attached. There isn't a memory without an emotion attached. And I actually think, you know, all these memories and these clothes are the access point to so many themes of growing up LGBT that are so specific. You know, I had this conversation with Tom Allen when he came on the podcast and because he was in uh, Croydon and similar time. And he was like, isn't it shit? We didn't know each other. Yeah, you know, right. Like we could have all done this together yeah. because there was that person down the road you know, looking at the Littlewoods catalogue just like I was, but we were all in our own little pods of isolation and then, like, going on the internet and talking to people probably on the other side of the world who we didn't know. Yeah. Being, like, I mean, you were jumping in the car. I was too 
wet. I mean, but it's interesting you say yeah. that because I do think there's also that thing where because you exist in isolation as young gay men, or at least we did very much so, mm. particularly if you live in like a, a suburb where you don't have ready access to a gay bar or a community, and you learn to, no. you learn to be quite self sufficient, and you learn to be yeah, and and that I think has definitely I don't know if it, I talk about it that much in the book, but it definitely impacted my ability to have gay friendships and i did i did really? I, yeah i didn't i didn't really feel like i had many gay friendships really and i don't know whether that was some subliminal internalized homophobia or or that kind of feeling of being completely self self-contained um and having to be but it's been something that mm. i've kind of grappled with again in my whole you know journey of self-discovery uh, yeah well it's a big topic because mm. i know that i can relate to a version of that in the sense that like so I have to catch myself because you do get very used to being on your own and asking nobody for help and it's all a big secret and it's all got to you know it's all got to be dealt with by yourself so I have to catch myself being disdainful of people asking for help mm. like I would just automatically be like bit weak yeah. and i'm like you've got to stop that yeah. like you, you people are allowed to ask for help and as are you and i will get myself into a whole like something will start to unfold in my life and it could be work it could be personal life and i'll just i'll get myself into a whole lather about the fact that i can't solve it and i'm like you know you can actually turn to someone and say would you mind helping me like that is a normal thing Literally. but i won't do it and and you know as on my 41st year i still won't I have to like whack my head and be like oh yeah just tell people and it's amazing once you uncover it you kind of don't know what your avenues are so you kind mm. of I don't know we're, we're all I don't know it's a general generalization to say that all gay men know how to perform but like there, there's a performative mm. aspect to us because we probably have had to shield and present and whatever and it's easier yeah. to do that than it is to internalize and ask for help and go to your your immediates than it is to go out to the wider world in some way. And at least that's what I have found. And that I, I completely agree with you. It's like actually saying, mm, shit, I, I'm not in the best place or I need some someone to to lean on is really, really difficult. And I think a lot of gay yes. men and and anyone who's maybe I guess struggle is is a difficult term, but who has kind of gone been forced against the grain in some way and therefore had to become self-sufficient and self-reliant you you kind of it's it's difficult to break that it really is and i'm definitely still learning how to do it it really is and i think also like you say like you said anyone who's had to go against the grain it's actually everybody which is why i take it upon myself to be vulnerable in front of people mm. as a sort of exhibition to be like and i feel it when i do it in front of certain people i i d deliberately do it because i think it's everybody has it and i think you have to be vulnerable and that way is happiness and there is no other path agree. completely agree thanks for coming to my ted talk yeah. listeners it's been beautiful we will see you all in the new year thank you Teo, for coming to chat i love that get in touch at homo sapiens on instagram facebook at homo sapiens podcast for all the boomers out there email your comments questions agony uncles to hello at homo sapiens.com Bye for now. I'm going to go and have another rustle in that quality street tin to make sure it's not just the orange ones and the weird strawberry ones left. There must be one of those nutty ones somewhere. Or the purple green triangle, is it? Mm, yeah. 
powered by Spirit Studios.